As Latter-day Saint leaders, we face very difficult conversations that put us at risk of saying the wrong thing that can do more harm than good. Many of these conversations relate to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Have you had a fellow ward member come out to you about their LGBT identity? Have you had LGBT neighbors in your ward and you just don't know what to say to them, so you just ignore them? Have you wrestled with balancing love for your fellow man while still respecting the doctrines of the restored gospel? Personally, I've struggled with all those experiences. This is why Leading Saints is putting together the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit, where we will learn from 20 plus individuals who all have a unique perspective or an expertise in the LGBT Latter-day Saint experience. It's free to attend, so don't miss it. To learn all about the details, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org LGBT. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org LGBT. We hope you will join us so that we can all learn together. This is the Leading Saints podcast, and I'm your host, Kurt Frankham. We welcome you. It's been cool to see some of the analytics bounce up a little bit as we get new listeners, hopefully that are subscribing to this podcast. And I'm sure you're you're racing over to Apple Podcasts and or wherever it is you listen to podcasts and leaving a beautiful five star review, right? Well, if you haven't done that, you should. I think there are maybe there's an extra draw to this podcast lately, just as we're focusing and preparing for the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit, which, uh, man, it's coming together. I've recorded 10 episodes or 10 presentations, interviews so far, so we're about halfway there, and it is solid, great content, and you're going to love it. So if you're new to Leading Saints, we welcome you. You're maybe wondering what this is all about. Well, we are a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead, and we do that uh, through a few methods, one of them being this podcast. We have 400 plus episodes, all focus on different topics to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we also have a website, leadingsaints.org, where you'll find thousands of articles pertaining to you know leadership concepts in the context of the church. And then our virtual summits, which uh, I'll mention here, and which we're going to highlight in this episode, and our newsletter, a weekly newsletter that if you're not getting that, you are missing out on unique leadership content produced by Leading Saints. So you can go to leadingsaints.org slash subscribe in order to put your email address in and be a part of the message for sure. Now, this episode is going to be, I don't necessarily have someone I interviewed, but I want to share with you a variety of clips from the upcoming LGBT Saints Virtual Summit. And like I said, this just some remarkable interviews, really smart people, unique perspectives and experiences all around LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And I've been so enlightened by some, and I hope you find them beneficial to your leadership experience. But And that leadership experience also includes your experience as a parent. Maybe you're a parent to a LGBTQ Latter-day Saint. Uh, maybe you're a neighbor, a friend, a Relief Society president, ministering sister, or ministering brother. Uh, there's so many ways in which we lead, and it doesn't require that we have some type of formal calling to do that. So in this episode, I want to focus on, as we go through and I share with you various clips, is this concept of of seeking out the LGBTQ Latter-day Saint. Because let me give you a, a story, and maybe some of you have heard this before, and uh, but I I'll always have to remind myself that 
everybody listening to this has not listened to all 400 episodes of the podcast, and so it's okay to repeat myself every once in a while. But I was a bishop in South Salt Lake in an inner city ward, and this ward was made up of basically the condominium complex where I lived and then three additional apartment complexes. And because of that, it was a very transient ward, people coming and going, and a lot of rent payments going around, right? And obviously people needed help with their rent from time to time, and they would seek out the local bishop, me, to get welfare assistance. And so I became quite familiar with the welfare process as it was at that time. And it became something that I was quite overwhelmed with, as you can imagine, just requests after request after request. And many of those, if not the majority of those requests came from individuals I didn't even know. They just came out of the woodwork when the eviction notice was on their door and they needed help. They were desperate and they knew where to find the bishop, right? And it was so overwhelming at times. And thankfully, I had these remarkable inner city missionaries that were assigned to my ward with the primary purpose of helping me as the bishop go through these these welfare requests and making sure that we're helping the people that need the help and uh, helping them progress and finding you know self self sufficiency and so so forth. So it was interesting though because I would often go to the handbook and uh, the ham this. Obviously, the handbook's changed quite a bit since then. I mean, not quite a bit, but you know, there's been some changes. And if you go to the handbook today, which is available for all in the uh, Gospel Library app, you go to, to section 6.4, and this is the welfare section. And it says, the purpose of welfare are to help members become self-reliant, care for the poor and the needy, and give service. The bishop has the following responsibilities for welfare in the ward. And then it lists these three responsibilities. The first one, provide welfare leadership by teaching the doctrines and principles related to welfare, instructing leaders in their welfare responsibilities, and directing the welfare work of the ward council. And the third one, I'll come back to the second one. The third one is direct the ward's efforts to prepare for and respond to emergencies. But the second one always got me scratching my head, especially in a ward where I was overwhelmed with welfare requests. It says that, you know, this is a responsibility of the bishop to seek out the poor and provide assistance to those in need. And I used to just like think, seek out. I don't need to seek out. They've sought me out. I mean, they're knocking down my door and I'm so overwhelmed with welfare requests that how on earth can I find time to be proactive of seeking out these individuals? It is overwhelming, right? But I think this principle of seeking out doesn't just apply to welfare and it doesn't just apply to the bishop either. Part of leadership is the big push and pull, the tug of war of leadership is being proactive rather than reactive. And oftentimes we have to step back and remind ourselves, whoa, I am completely overwhelmed with reactive tasks. I need to gather myself and be more proactive in what my purpose is as a leader. And in the context of seeking out, I believe that that applies to so many areas not only the poor and the needy, but also seeking out the addict, seeking out the spiritually downtrodden, and also seeking out the LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Because it's so easy for, and I hear this all the time, and I just, if we can change this, like gather with me here, folks, let's, let's symbolically or metaphorically all hold hands and, and promise to ourselves, like, we can't let this be dismissed anymore. We can't just say, well, 
LGBTQ issues or that's just not really an issue in my ward, right? I mean, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, they don't, there's no, none of them live in my ward. Like we have to get away from that. We can't just say because they're not knocking on my door, because I'm not getting appointments set on my calendar around this topic, it must not exist. No, we must be proactive. We must seek out those that need the gospel, those that need that connection, those that need the community. And so I want to talk about how this is done in the context of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And I've interviewed all sorts of people, many of them, which you'll hear from in the during the LGBT Saints virtual summit. And I'm excited for you to hear that, but I want to share various clips and but focus in on this concept of how can we be proactive in seeking out LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and clearly communicate to them, you have a place here. You may not want to take that place here, and that's okay. But I want you to know in our community of Latter-day Saints, you have a place and it's safe here. And whenever you want to take up that place, whenever you want to sit in our pews, we are ready and willing to receive you with open arms. But this is so difficult, right? Because there are these tensions, and that's what we'll, we'll talk about. But I want to give you some examples, some perspectives, some principles to think about in order to better help you see how this is done. And maybe further inspiration will come to you how this is done, particularly in your area or your ward or stake. So I'm going to touch on four principles and share clips from either past interviews on the podcast or interviews that are coming up in the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit. Again, and I'm going to really hit this hard because we are in promotion mode. This starts in on September 8th, 2020. We really want you to be a part of this and, and watch it. It's free. You just have to register with your email and you're in and you can view it, right? So again, you can go to leadingsaints.org slash LGBT and you can find all the details on how to register there. But let's, let's go through this a little bit. The first principle in this concept is find and listen. As a leader, especially if you're the leader that thinks, you know, this just really isn't an issue in my area. This isn't, this never comes up in my ward. Again, that doesn't mean it's not there, right? And so we have to find opportunities to find LGBTQ, whether uh, individuals, whether they're Latter-day Saint or not, and find them and listen to their story. And it is more powerful if you can find somebody who is, you know, is uh, or at one time was part of our Latter-day Saint community, because that'll help you better put it in the context of sometimes the un- unintended hurt that comes from uh, their experience or the intentional hurt that comes from their experience. And I want to share with you an example of how this was done by a bishop. His name is Carl Hull. This is an interview that we did, and I, I didn't look up the date, but it was a few years ago. And we'll link to it in the show notes, so this would be really good to listen to. We're going to highlight it in our resource section during the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit. But this bishop went through this process where he, and the, the whole story, the whole interview is worth, you know, I can't summarize it completely, but because the power of it is so worth listening to. But basically this uh, Bishop Hole decided, you know what, I need to I need to talk about this. And so I, the, as far as ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And so he planned on doing a fifth Sunday lesson where he would address this this topic. And he talks about what led him to reaching out to a a former coworker of his who was gay and how he sought out to listen to his story. And just the process of this, so simple, 
but so powerful in taking the time to finding an individual, sitting with them, and listening to their story. So, how does one? What do you go? How do you go about finding individuals if you know they're not your next door neighbor? How did you go about finding these individuals? And any? And I know you, you talk about a specific story in in the article you wrote of, of one interaction. So, how did you go about uh, finding those individuals? Um, mostly just from uh, stake contacts here in our stake, working with other bishops. And our stake president, he, he directed me to a couple of people. And so I went and interviewed them. And then as I was putting my presentation together, I had a name come to me that was someone that I had worked with about 20 years previous. Mm. And I, I knew at the time that he was gay. And as I was making my presentation, I remembered some very unkind, unchristlike things that I had said about him. Never to him, but about him. And as I was working on my presentation, I thought, I can't in good conscience give this presentation without going and reconciling with that young man. His, his name is Steve. Not a young man. He's actually in his 50s, but, oh, okay. but a lot of us in our 50s are pretty young. Still, yeah, but. sure, sure. <laughs> so I, uh, through, through social media, I was able to track him down. It took about three weeks. I found out that he's still in the area, and I contacted him and asked him if we could get together and visit. And I'm sure he was like, well, this is a blast from the way past, and <laughs> yeah. someone didn't really know very well. Yeah, it's and, not like you were good friends or something back then, right? Right. Or, no, we, we were just, just work, colleagues. We're right? work colleagues, and, and I didn't really associate much with him at all. But anyway, we, he agreed to meet with me, and so we met at a Starbucks coffee shop, and I, I bought him a cappuccino, and I, <laughs> nice. I bought me a hot chocolate. First time I've ever bought a cappuccino. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And he you're, and I, you're a rebel here. This is yeah. <laughs> confessions. He and I sat down and uh, I said, his name's Steve. I said, Steve, you probably wonder why I want to talk to you. And he said, he looked at me, yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> What's this about? Because he truly had no idea. He may have thought this was going to be some type of business proposition or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, Steve, I am, I told him I'm a bishop in the, uh, in the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I, don't, I didn't know if he was Mormon. I had no idea about his background. And I said, I am trying to prepare to speak to my congregation about same-sex attraction. And as I was preparing my comments and thoughts, I remembered that you were someone that I worked with back in the, this would have been the early to mid-90s. And you may not have known this, Steve, but I spoke very unkindly about you. Not to yourself directly, but when you were not around, we made jokes about you because you were the only gay person that we knew that had come out. And, uh, and I was very unkind to you or speaking about you to others. And I want to apologize for that, for that unchristlike thing that I've done and let you know that my heart is changing in that regard. Steve teared up and he, he immediately said, thank you for coming and talking to me. He said, I had no idea you'd said anything. No one ever shared those thoughts with me, but he said, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I asked him then for his forgiveness, and he immediately forgave me, just instantly. Wow, and awesome. I thought, that's, that's pretty Christ-like. And then he, I thought that was going to be the end of my story. Mm-hmm. And then he said, do you want to hear my story? Oh, cool. I said, sure. <laughs> and for the next hour, he shared in vivid detail what his life was like growing up. And I was just stunned. I had never, I had already interviewed a few people, but I had never had anyone go into that depth before of what it was like growing up. He grew up in Utah. He grew up in a strong LDS family. He started feeling 
same-sex attraction feelings, probably about the age of about six or seven. And he didn't really know what they were at that point. When he got into his early adolescence, he recognized what those were. And he was told over and over that this is evil, this is bad. And so he internalized that, oh, I'm evil and I'm bad. And so he decided that he was going to be the very best person that he could be. He was going to be the best deacon and then the best teacher and then the best priest. He said, I was great. He said, I was a good deacon. I was a good teacher, a good priest. He was called to be the president of his seminary class for Brighton High School when he was a senior. And he went on a mission. He was a great missionary. And, and his goal and his whole thought was, I will be so good that this will be taken away from me. And after he got home from his mission, those feelings were still there and he was crushed. He said that growing up, he was suicidal many times. He, was, went through, he went through depression and he was in constant fear every single day that someone was going to find out who he was. Hmm. And he said that was horrible to live with over and over and over again. And that, as, as he was telling me his experience, I was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what a difficult, difficult cross he was called to bear. And people like me were not making that cross any easier. Mm -hmm. and, and I resolved that from this point forward, I'm going to do everything I can to love and support people like that, as opposed to be another, another person to be fearful of. So I came away from that experience feeling like I, there's so much more I could do. And, and this, there, I feel like I learned so much and I felt like I had a message to really share with our ward. And that message was, we have to learn how to love unconditionally. And we heard it a lot, you know, we, charity is, you know, that yeah. pure love of Christ and to, 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 love, to love the sinner without loving the sin, you know, and all that yeah. stuff. But this makes it real. When you can look at someone like this and say, you are carrying a very difficult burden in this life, something very difficult to reconcile, and let me help you do that. Let me, let me be with you and not against you. So I love how Carl says that this makes it real. It's one thing to go to church or to read or to teach these general gospel principles. But when we can sit down with individuals, that makes it real. And that's why it's so crucial for leaders, for individuals, especially if, you know, maybe you don't have an individual, an LGBTQ individual that's close to you or your family, like seek them out, sit with them, listen with them. And that will make it real. Now, I want to highlight or emphasize, you know, in this context of this story, it was with a, a gay individual. But I feel like most people, and I don't mean to generalize, but I, I really feel like most people have an interaction or know somebody who is is LGB, right? But the T of LGBT is maybe not as common to interact with, right? You don't maybe know a transgender individual off the top of your head. But to be proactive in also seeking out the trans individual and hearing their story, understanding the, the wrestle they go through, understanding the process, the, the history of what they're experiencing. And I just love, it's, you know, it's a phone call could work. I mean, I guess an email could work. But to really say, hey, let's go somewhere and sit. And I just want to hear your story. That's really the first step in um, seeking out, right, the LGBTQ Latter-day Saint. All right, so the first principle to seeking out the LGBTQ Latter-day Saint is find and listen. The second principle, start a dialogue. And that's a, if you go listen to the whole 
the whole episode with Carl Hull, he talks about, he walks us through the process of how he was wanting to start a dialogue in his ward. He was doing a fifth Sunday lesson and he gives some great points and principles, best practices in helping a leader be execute that really effectively. But I want to share with you a message that uh, somebody shared on our, we have a Leading Saints Helpers group on Facebook, which uh, you are welcome to join, look up, and request to be a part of that. Most recently, somebody shared an experience. This was a young women's leader. She shared shared an experience that I would like to read and, and talk about. So I am the young women's president in my ward right now. We recently had a ward boundary change, which brought a lot of changes in the young women organization as well. One of the new girls that joined our ward, I had only briefly met at the door when we first gained a few streets and homes to our ward. She never came to any activities and then COVID hit us, and I heard very limited information about her family. Recently, I decided to send a handwritten letter in regular snail mail to each of the young women. It was a simple note expressing my love and support to them and to please reach out to if they needed anything. I didn't include any scriptures or talks or quotes or anything, just trying to send out support, period. I honestly didn't expect to hear back from any of them, except this young woman I just referenced a few paragraphs ago randomly sent me a text tonight while I was working. I got so excited to see her name on there, and then I opened the text and it read like this. Hi, I just got your note. It was sweet, but I'd like to let you know you can stop sending me church stuff. I'm a proud bisexual, so by your standards, I'm already going to hell. This obviously made me so sad. I have been contemplating what to do and how to respond. I feel grateful to have been listening to some of the recent Leading Saints podcast episodes regarding LGBTQ plus members, and I know that she needs some sort of support, but I would love all of your opinions on what to do or say in order to respond to her. And then she gives a list of things that she's considered. She says, one, do I respond with a rebuttal? Explaining doctrine doesn't mandate that she is automatically going to hell. Two, do I respond with a simple apology such as, I'm so sorry you feel that way. I'll respect your wishes and not send any further communications. But no, I'm here for you if you ever want to reach out. Three, I could talk to the bishop in more detail about the specific situation and see if we need to dig deeper and help the family or even begin a discussion about the possible need to address this issue as a general subject with all the young women and and all the youth? Or four, do I respond with a short but brief expression of support, love, and don't ever bring up her sexual orientation at all? So that really, I mean, that's a real situation. That's why I really appreciate uh, that she would be so open and vulnerable to share that in that Facebook group, because that's like what we're facing, right? And the reality is, and I'm sure there's something that can be done. And, and, you know, this is a long process. It's nothing, there's not one response that's going to fix the situation or, or bring that young woman back or help her feel a safe place. It's just not going to be solved through one text message. The reality is, though, it's kind of late. And it's nobody's fault. I mean, these are tough situations and, and we're all going to make mistakes. But the reality is, is we have to stay ahead of, of a lot of, of these types of conversations, especially when it comes to our youth. If we can start now, and, and instead of defaulting to, well, you know, I don't really think it's an issue in my ward. Statistically, it's an issue. I promise you, there are LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, especially if you have a lot of youth. And they are in a, a pivotal moment where they're wrestling with this, trying to reconcile it, right? Listening to Bishop Hull's story with the friend he connected with, like, 
that is a pivotal moment where they are drowning in shame. And for a leader to begin a dialogue, even when you think it's, quote, not an issue in the ward, but to begin a dialogue can be so powerful. So I want to share another clip with you about how start, what starting a dialogue looks like. Now, there's a, a, hundreds of ways to go about this, right? But I feel like it's just so helpful and inspiring when you hear what r- real leaders have done in real life, right, to start a dialogue. So this is an interview I recorded, which we're going to feature in the resource section during the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit. It's with President Fersh. And President Fersh, I hope I, I always say your last name wrong, but President Fersh is actually the stake president that Richard Osler referenced in the interview, I guess it was two episodes ago. And he has such a remarkable story, a journey of how he just simply stayed proactive in reaching out and bringing the dialogue to his stake as a stake president. And regardless, and he even mentions in this, which isn't in this clip, but he mentions early on, he didn't really think it was an issue until he realized it was an issue, right? But how he proactively stayed ahead and developed the dialogue early on to create a safe place. And what happened was Zion, as he refers to it in his word. Here's that clip. We are, have been involved with an organization in Long Beach called CCJ, California Conference for Equality and Justice. And they have been up to you know, recently an organization that would help represent, educate people on and protect religion, protect racial, you know, sexual orientation, just allow people to, to all coexist without being discriminated against. And they had a speaker, uh, Marcia Azumi and her son, Aiden, who my, the company I own, we sponsored this, the speakers for this event. And he is transgender. And so got to know him a little bit, got to know Marcia quite a bit. And what I learned from that was when they gave their keynote address, and this is a thousand people in Long Beach that come to this interfaith breakfast, they were asked to, you know, summarize what the most impactful thing of this journey, you know, of him, you know, going from a, a woman to a man and, you know, the mother losing her daughter and having to embrace his son and, you know, just things that most of us would never even, you know, think about. And all I knew is she had a beautiful heart. Marcia's just an awesome person. And so I was drawn to her enough to have an open mind to listen. And when they shared their kind of concluding thoughts, you know, the one thing Aiden shared, which just ate at my core was that when he went to his church leader, and it wasn't LDS church, but it was another Christian denomination, he was told he, he didn't have a place there. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks, because then I realized, you know, that's not, there's nothing Christ-like in exclusion, you know, and, and a lot of things started to come to my mind about what our role is as leaders and what building Zion involved. And, and um, I knew that that was just wrong. It was just wrong. And so that's why I guess I share that because that's what my heart got open to. I got to help people because how much of this pain is existing in our state that I had no idea was there. Then we had, which was a bit more of a risk. I had uh, Marsha and Aiden come. They're non-members, but I just, this idea of the impact of being excluded from church, I couldn't get out of my mind. Um, I think about it now and, you know, the damage that was done to, to Aiden because of that, he still carries it with him today. And I just didn't want ever for myself or any of our leaders to ever be responsible for bringing that kind of a pain into anybody's life. And so I invited them to speak. And, you know, a transgender man and his mother to the LDS church on a Thursday night. I 
picked, I invited all the bishops, Relief Society presidents, Elders Quorum presidents, and a few other people I thought would be um, supportive. And they were reluctant. You know, their friends were telling them it's a setup. I was concerned because I just thought maybe this was, you know, you know it, it's, and I'm not, you know, you take a risk and, yeah. you know, you're, you're taking a bit of a leap and trusting that it was right. And I will tell you, they came, they did their slide presentation with Aiden as a girl and with him now, they went through the whole story. And I will tell you, there was not a dry eye in the room. I had members that were long-term church members that said it was the most spiritual experience they've ever had in church. And it wasn't because, you know, it wasn't about us judging and determining, you know, what this person's eternal path is going to look like. It was just simply letting him know that there was at least one church environment where he was safe. You know, and his mom had told me when I first met her that he used to wear a little, you know, what would Jesus do, little armband. Um, At the end of it, I gave him a CTR armband. And um, gosh, and he's he's pretty reserved with his emotions, but um, that really got to him. And so I realized that there were a lot of members in our stake and our leadership that had soft hearts. And so that was kind of the next step. Mm. You know, then I met Mike and I just, I, I don't know, I've always been a guy that just doesn't believe in coincidences. And, and when something, these, these, it, I mean, the Lord had guided us to this one church that opened the door for all this outreach work, you know, and I, I just, you just go with it. And then Mike Seacrest fell into our lap and, and I just, I asked him, I go, look, would you be willing to speak at a state conference? And, you know, Again, and to review this, Mike is someone who who's a former member of the church, or he's still a member but living a gay lifestyle. Yeah, he's a member. He, he okay. came back to the church. Um, oh, okay. But he's he's openly gay, and um, he's well spoken. He's a doctor. You know, he's he's um, just and he you know agreed. And I knew I was a big ask. Uh, and that was the weekend we had him speak on a Saturday night, and then um, Richard Osler came out because Mike had introduced me to Richard, who you know he's great. And uh, he came and spoke on Sunday because I thought, you know, here's a former bishop, guy from Utah, you know, might resonate with the older folks a little bit or the, you know, the, 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 the raising church groups, you know, me being a convert, I don't, there's a lot of things I'm just not connected to in terms of being raised, you know, it's a different experience, I get that. But he gave this talk, you know, he, he was nervous. Um, I know Richard told the story I, and I just, to me, it wasn't something I consciously did, but I just, you know, I wanted to make sure he felt safe up there because, you know. You sit up there in front of a crowd of people, you know, I mean, I get nervous and I'm up there all the time, right? And so you have this poor guy who's about to bear his soul yeah. come out over the pulpit, you know. I was, he, was he known in the stake at that point? Or? No, no. Okay. He, was, uh, he, was, he was in, in his, uh, his ward. He sung in the choir. So pe- some people okay. knew him, but nobody knew. I mean, he was telling me he had sisters wanting to set them up with their granddaughters, you know. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> you know? So this was a big surprise for a lot of people. But he gave, so he, you know, he got up there. I, I moved over to sit next to him. I just, like I said, I, I, I've gotten support from most of the brothers I serve with. But at the end of the day, you know, again, it's lonely at the top sometimes. And I'm not trying to sound like I'm some great guy. But, you know, you just, he, it was on me to make sure he felt right. And so I sat by him. He got up. He gave this beautiful talk. And um, I, the line of people at the end is probably what I won't forget. Because he had literally for an hour and a half, and I'm not, no exaggeration, a Saturday night session of people just, you know, wanting to come up and hug him and, and embrace him. And uh, man, that's when I knew, okay, my stake is ready. They're ready for this step in becoming, having the, not just creating Zion out here, but in the heart, you know, one heart, one mind. One heart and one mind. I mean, that story's so powerful for me. I mean, 
<laughs> the typical leader that would just die to have an experience where the ward lines up to hug somebody. I mean, that's Zion to me, right? Like that, that's what we're going for. And it's by beginning this dialogue, and it goes back to that first principle of, of helping the stake, helping the ward find and listen to these experiences is so powerful and connects in, in, I mean, you talk about unity. Can you imagine the unity that was felt in that stake after that experience? And then I just love the process that President First went through to introduce it to the stake, right? Starting with the, the general leaders, then taking it to state conference, right? And just creating that safe space. And, and again, it's not that he has to focus on that every state conference going forward, but it's just these moments of highlighting it, bringing those stories and allowing everybody to listen. And how crucial this is for youth, like going back to that Facebook message, like if we can stay ahead of it so that nobody ever, like no youth ever gets the misconception that they're damned to hell because this is who they are. I mean, that's the last thing we want youth to feel, right? And so by staying ahead of it and beginning the dialogue early, and this is what I think is so great about the, the resources the church has, right, on their website, North Star, the resources they provide. What we're trying to provide here at Leading Saints, I mean, imagine the power of a bishop standing in front of the, the youth of their ward and saying, I went to a conference or I listened to a conference about LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. I know something a little bit more about this topic, and I want you to know I'm a safe place to talk about it, or I'd like to have a dialogue here. I want to understand your perspective, how you see it. And by beginning those dialogues early, that creates a safe place. There's no hell and damnation, you know, misconceptions, and you can begin to talk about it and make a welcoming place for those individuals. All right, so first principle, find and listen. Second principle, start a dialogue. The third principle, stand in the tension. Going back to my time as bishop, again, I lived in this condominium complex, and I knew of this uh, gay couple that lived on the other side of the complex. And I knew by looking at the church records that one of the man in that relationship was a Latter-day Saint and was actually a return missionary. And I've talked about this before, but just this feeling of thinking, you know, I don't think they want the bishop knocking on their door. Like, I'm probably the last person they ever want to talk to in this neighborhood. So I'm going to respect them by just staying away. And basically, I won't bother you. You don't bother me. We can go on with our lives in our, you know, in our silos and everything will be great, Right. But man, I regret that because that was my opportunity to stand in the tension. And what that tension comes from, and I'm going to play a few clips here, this tension between love and law, right? Because it can, you know, the last thing I want you to do is listen to these episodes or listen to Leading Saints and think, man, like, I think they're just airing too much on the love side, right? Like, I just, I mean, we have some doctrines, we have some beliefs that are pretty core to our uh, religious beliefs. And I think it's important that we respect those, right? That's where the tension is. We've got to show love, but we have to respect doctrines. And we have to see that those doctrines are actually an answer and perpetuate more love, even though may, some individuals would, would disagree with that perspective. But there's this tension, right? And so what we do is both those individuals who are LGBTQ and Orthodox leaders, we run to one extreme. And so you may hear that, or some individuals, they run to the extreme of love and they think, I just, I don't even want to think about the doctrines anymore. 
they exclude people, they're hurtful, right? And we run that way. Or a leader may run towards the doctrine and say, listen, these are our doctrines. I just completely disagree with your lifestyle. And so I'm going to just hold on to this doctrine. And you know what? That's, that's sort of where I was as, as the bishop, right? I'm thinking, you know, this is just where we're at. I get it. Like, you don't want any of this doctrine, but I do. So I'm going to stay over here in the doctrine. The leadership is found when we start moving towards the center where the tension is the tightest and we stand in that tension. That's where leadership's found. And let me play this clip by Ty Mansford, Mansfield, where he talks about this tension. And we jump mid conversation and, and he's talking about two things. And those two things he's talking about is love, the love and law, or, you know, love and doctrine and how we hold that tension. But there are these two tensions. And again, I see these as two truths, two goods, but they have to be, you know, in the, the words of Elder Maxwell, too much focus on either one, it's going to go to seed and become wild. Or to some degree, it's going to, it's, we're going to lose something important. So always holding those is going to be important. You know, Edith Stein or the St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, she said it this way. She said, do not accept anything that lacks truth or do, do not accept anything as the truth if it lacks love and do not accept anything as love which lacks truth. And this is really, it's a beautifully captured, but hard to do, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Especially when sometimes speaking truth does not feel very loving. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes when loving feels like, well, let's just throw truth out the window and it feels a little bit like moral relativism. And so holding those two just requires a, a high level of commitment to both. Yeah. And, and my so, mind goes to like in this, uh, these relationships we have as leaders that love always needs to precede truth. Like it's so difficult to teach people truth or to communicate truth and have them absorb it without this foundation of a loving relationship where they, they know that this person teaching me truth actually cares about me as a person. Yeah. So we have paradox and this, you know, Elder Oaks, you know, he gave a conference talk a few years ago about this love and law, right? And then he gave an updated talk about this at a BYU Idaho devotional address. And then recently, in the context of addressing LGBT issues specifically, he doesn't talk about LGBT issues in this talk, but it's a lot of the same themes and then some of the principles he talked about in this other address. But I think he talked about this in a very subtle way and somewhere, and I don't know if in the background he was referencing some of the issues around LGBT issues, but I, I know that, well, I'll get there in a second. But he said this, Jesus commanded us to love our neighbors and also to keep the commandments. Similarly, he commanded us to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and also to love one another. Some see a contradiction in these two commandments, to love one another, but to keep the commandments, which means to follow God's laws. Those who honor God's commandments may be seen as not having love for those who do not follow his laws. Right? And we see this in some of those, the cultural and social tensions. Yeah. Conversely, reaching out in love and kindness can at times be seen as condoning choices that are contrary to God's laws. Now, shortly before this, and I don't know that this was what he was referencing, but I know that at least from some of my connections behind the scenes with LDS Public Affairs, because I served on a committee with Public Affairs for, for a period of time, was around the first Love Loud concert, right? And the church gave sort of an endorsement, non-endorsement of that. They kind of you know, that they want all youth to feel, because they were asked for commentary with the Love Loud concert. And, you know, there was, you know, I think the church always tries to be very careful in what it's saying. And it was sort of an endorsement, non-endorsement. But then later, Elder Ballard at BYU Address said, the reason we endorsed the Love Loud concert was we want everyone to feel loved, right? And there were, Dan Reynolds does not have the same values around 
this, right? As he's not going to promote the same kind of ideas around this entirely as the church is going to promote from a, a covenant standpoint. Yeah. And so there was this kind of tension around, there was a lot of pushback on the church of now in endorsing this, you're now condoning, you know, certain things that eventually are going to lead people out of the church. Right. And yeah. so it's like, you know, and this was just prior to him giving this talk. So I know that these are tensions that the church has wrestled with, but it's there. Right. So, you know, as we promote love, are people going to hear that as condoning choices that are contrary to God's laws, President Oaks's words. So, however, these seemingly contradictory ideals are in fact a paradox. Not only can we follow both directives of the Lord, but in finding an appropriate balance, we can live both principles in a deeper, more complete way. The balancing I've described is not easy. Experience teaches that when we seek to keep all the commandments in our personal lives, we are sometimes accused of having no love for those who don't. When we show personal love and support for loving causes, we are sometimes misunderstood as applying support for the results that contradict our other commandments. And I have, again, wondered how much of that had this kind of, especially some, some of the love loud tensions in the backdrop because they were right about the same time. So as leaders and as Latter-day Saints, we have to hold on to these two tensions, the tension of love and the tension of doctrine, right? And that can be very uncomfortable. It's easier to run to one extreme or the other. To stand in the tension, that's where leadership is found. And it's in that tension that's really risky as a leader, because like he gives the love loud example, the church took a risk of appearing on one side that, oh, so now you're condoning this behavior. But on the other side, they are just showing, no, we're just showing love, right? So it's in the tension where you're most likely to be misrepresented or misunderstood, but it's in the tension where safety is created, right? So as a bishop, I wasn't willing to stand in that tension. I wasn't willing to walk over on the, to that doorstep, knock on the door and say, boy, this is a bit awkward. This is a bit uncomfortable. I recognize I'm standing in tension, but I want to hear your story. I want to know about you. I want to know about your relationship. I want to know about how we, what sort of interaction you want with this local ward. That's tension, right? Another example is just this, when it comes to gay marriages, right? This is a common scenario you'll hear is, uh, do I go to the gay wedding or not? If I show up, am I condoning? Well, maybe I'll just go, but I won't be in any pictures. That's what I'll do, right? Like there's tension there, right? And so I want to share with you another clip from Scott and Becky McIntosh, who are parents of a gay son and their journey in moving towards their, their son later got married to a man and, and they, they stood in that tension. But they share an experience which really set a strong example of leaders who were willing to stand in the tension between love and doctrine, love and law. So here's that experience. A couple of years ago, Scott and I, we were invited to our first gay wedding, and we felt it was right, and, it was, and we were comfortable in, in going. Two return and missionaries. There were two return missionaries, yes. And we were assigned to a, a table, and as we were walking to the table, Scott recognized someone from the construction world at our table. And as we sat there and we, Scott asked, you know, well, how, which groom or groom do you know? <laughs> and he said, oh, I'm, I'm the stake president, so-and-so. And then he pointed to see that gentleman over there in that table, that's his bishop. And see the gentleman over at that table, that's his bishop. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is wonderful that they're there 
showing their respect and love for their, their special day. And it was at that, that time when I just knew that, okay, if this is in our future, I can do this. I can do this. And I had also wondered, well, what about our grandkids? Like, will they come? And, and at this wedding, there were all, the children were there, and they both came from big families. And there were, like, all the families were there, and their, their children and their grandchildren. And, and it was, just was a loving environment. It was so, so good to see that the stake president and, and both of these bishops were there. So then when that did come around and was in our, in our future, we gave him the same support that we gave our other other six children at their weddings. He was the last of our seven children to marry. He had watched all his siblings marry, and we gave him the, the same support. And on that, that wedding day, as I looked around, there were only a few empty seats. We had set up 150 chairs. There was only a few empty seats. And I knew that there were some that there were there that were uncomfortable with this, but they were there. And that just warmed my heart thinking, but they're there because they know this is a special moment for Sean, who was their cousin or their nephew. So I love these examples of leaders willing to stand in the tension. And I get it. There's probably individuals listening saying, you know what? That was inappropriate. They went too far. And there's no, to strike this balance, it is so difficult. And you probably will strike it incorrectly from one time or another. But the reality is, is being leaders willing to stand in that tension because that is where they can reach your outstretched hand and connect with you and further understand you, right? That's where we can start stimulating this environment where individuals actually desire the doctrine because they felt the love. I had a friend reach out to me uh, a few weeks ago. This friend is a bishop and is, has a, I believe it's a transgender brother who is getting married. And not your typical Latter-day Saint experience, right? Not your typical Latter-day Saint wedding. And he was just, he was wrestling with this and reached out to me and said, you know, what should I do? You know, I know that this sibling of mine is going to post pictures on social media. And, you know, as, as the bishop, I don't, I don't know if I really want that out there. And, you know, I love my sibling, but I just don't know how to handle this. And this was an opportunity for him to stand in the tension, right? So I responded and said, basically, that obviously I didn't go into the whole concept of standing in the tension, but basically saying, you need to stand in the tension. And instead of going to the wedding and trying to passively, aggressively avoid the camera or just sort of stepping back, what if instead you walked up to your sibling with their new spouse and stood in between them, put your arms around them and said, take a picture. And then what if you were the one? that posted it on Facebook? What if you are the one that expressed their love for the sibling on Facebook? That's tension, right? Because you are running the risk of being misunderstood by both parties. You think, oh, and some people may think, oh, it looks like uh, uh, so-and-so has left the church. I thought he was a bishop, but I guess, I guess not, right? Or with Orthodox members, you run the risk of saying, whoa, 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 that's not appropriate. Judgment, 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 right? That's the tension but it is so crucial as leaders to stand in the tension because just like with President Fersh's experience, when individuals that you lead see you stand in the tension, it gives them permission to take the risk to stand in the tension. And that is a beautiful thing. And that's when we start stimulating 
further deeper connection and unity in our religious communities. All right, again, first principle, find and listen. Second principle, start a dialogue. Third principle, stand in the tension. And the final principle I'll discuss, and there could be many more, is being an advocate for Christ. And this is connected to that, that tension, right, between love and doctrine, the love and law. It's interesting because as I have opportunity to just casually, you know, outside of formal interviews, I just interact, uh, you know, I get a lot of emails and such from bishops and from leaders and Relief Society presidents about this tension, right? And it's interesting to hear their experience. One, you know, like I mentioned in the beginning, I hear a lot is, ah, that's not really an issue in my area. Yeah, you got to dismiss that. It, It is, right? It is. The second one is, is a lot of leaders feel like, well, I just don't know what options are available to them, right? I mean, I cannot imagine experiencing same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria and trying to find a place in the traditional gospel narrative, right? And that can be very, very difficult. And as a leader, you sort of feel like, all right, I guess the only thing I have to offer this person is celibacy and it's going to be a long road and, but hey, we'll get through this, you know, like, we sometimes frame it in a way that's very torturous. (laughs) Like, well, just let's get through mortality. And I don't know what's going to happen in the afterlife, but I'm sure we'll figure things out then. I'm sure it won't be this bad in the afterlife. Like that's not a hope-filled message. Ty Mansfield talks about this in his presentation. I won't play in those clips now, but man, it's such a good presentation. I'm excited to share the full presentation with you at the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit. Always just reminding you, right? This is coming September 8th. But also, Professor Michael Goodman talks about this concept in his presentation. I don't have a clip prepared to to share with you, but here's the basic concept is here's so many leaders, they're faced with this topic and they don't really have answers for them other than this sort of watered down life of despair and celibacy, right? And so they just sort of shrug their shoulders and say, hey, listen, if you got to go that path, like I get it. I don't know what else to tell you, right? And we sort of pray for them and and we look towards those exp- those uh, anecdotes of individuals who have made it back to the church or, or have somehow found their place in, in the church. And that's, and we sort of are hopeful that that miracle somehow happens, but we don't know how it happens. Or another uh, context I see this in is the media, just the secular media. Even recently, there was a national story of someone highlighting a Latter-day Saint couple who was a mixed orientation marriage, right? The husband experienced the same-sex attraction. The wife is is heterosexual, and they somehow make this work. And sometimes the media will pick up on these like, look at this. We have found a unicorn. Can you believe it? Look at this unicorn, folks. And these individuals, or if you read the comment section, they sort of see it like, okay, come on. This is not going to work. All right, it's great that you're giving it a good try, but it's not only going to not work, it's almost damaging, right? Like that's sort of the worldly perspective they have on it. But when you get involved and become more familiar with North organizations like North Star, you see how common, like how ununicorn like this scenario is of mixed orientation marriages. Again, I'm not saying that this is the model that every individual should follow, right? But it happens, and it's not a unique circumstance. And these couples are thriving, and they're not just thriving for a couple of years. Like, for decades, they are thriving and receiving the benefit of, of the doctrines and the covenants that the, the gospel offers. But being an advocate for Christ, I think it is so crucial as we stand in that tension between love and law, 
we have to make available a clear and hopeful and obvious path, which is the Savior, Jesus Christ, right? We can't just shrug our shoulders and say, yeah, I don't know how your life works in this context of the gospel. It does work. Christ does work, even in this scenario, even in this context. And like I said, Professor Michael Goodman uh, gives a phenomenal presentation about this concept, that as leaders, we have to offer this path as a viable offer, not one that's full of of white-knuckling and dread and celibacy, but you can be alive in Christ and thrive in Christ. And this is our role as leaders to be familiar with the resources that are out there, right? The church has so many incredible resources recently updated, and we need to be aware of them. I'm always shocked of leaders who aren't aware of those things, right? They are available and they're great resources. Every leader should be aware of North Star. It is such a phenomenal organization. I cannot speak highly enough of what they do and to interact with a community of Latter-day Saints, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints who are maintaining their covenants and to sit among that community and think, oh, so people are doing it. Oh, it does work. Like Christ is, his atonement is available for me. I don't know how this works or my path and I'm not trying to mimic somebody else's, but there is a community here of people like me wanting to make it work. And if a leader is not aware of those resources, they can't connect the dots for the individual. They can't say, oh, don't worry. You may feel really alone right now, but let me induce you to a community of thousands of individuals who are doing it and who can offer you support and community and understanding that me as your bishop maybe can't provide, right? So connecting them with those resources. But there is a path through Christ. And not only that, people thrive through Christ, even LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And I get it. If there's LGBTQ Latter-day Saints listening, you probably think, oh, this guy, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what I've gone through, what, what it really is, what it really does feel like. And it's true. I don't understand. But Christ does. And he has a path. He did not leave anybody out of the reach of this path towards him that can lead to a thriving life in Christ with covenants that sanctify us to a higher level and help us become more like our Father in heaven. So never shy away from that path. Always be an advocate for Christ. Always lead out with that doctrine and hold that tension of love and law, and they will find a deeper purpose, a deeper opportunity to become. So there's our uh, four principles. Find and listen, start a dialogue, stand in the tension, and advocate for Christ. And I'm just so, this is just a sliver of the type of content and presentation and quotes and perspectives and stories that you're going to hear at the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit. I can't emphasize enough or encourage enough for you to be a part of this. Go to leadingsaints.org slash LGBT and there you can find, find all the details. It's free to attend. There is an option to upgrade to an all-access pass. That The details will be outlined for you. You get additional bonuses and benefits and ease of of listening to the content or reviewing the content i would sincerely ask that you would uh, support us there even i i get it you can we'll let you listen to the whole thing for free but if you wouldn't mind contributing something to this this is going to support both the north star organization and the leading saints organization so that we can continue to grow and produce content quality content like this that will help you be better prepared to lead and also help lgbtq latter-day saints find community within the the saints of the church. I'd love to hear any feedback you have. Uh, you can go to leadingsaints.org contact or leave a comment 
on the post on the website of this episode. And uh, share what what points would you add to that list? You know, how can we better seek out the LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and, and welcome them, create a safe place, and make a spot for them on the pews on Sunday, right? And I would love to hear your feedback, what's worked, the stories. You know, I love, love these stories which I've shared in this episode of real leaders impacting real lives, and I would love to hear your story as well. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash LGBT and register for this virtual summit begins September 8th and uh, you definitely don't want to miss it. And don't forget, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash LGBT to learn all the details about the upcoming LGBT Saints virtual summit. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.